anyway, we've had a, a great feast. We've learned a lot. God has inspired Daryl in many ways and brought out many things. And uh, I feel very inadequate. Uh, I, I keep telling others that uh, I sometimes... Uh, would hate to be the people that have to listen to me speak because I'm, of all the people, I'm probably the weakest out there. Let me push this table forward since George is gone. I know I'm small and I don't need as much room as Daryl, but uh, still a little bit of room helps. You know, we've learned that uh, there's a lot of things coming. And uh, one thing that I want to start out with is just hit some highlights. In Revelation six verse, uh, Revelation one verse six, it says that Christ has made us kings and priests to our God and Father. In Exodus nineteen six, this is just a little bit of prelude here. Uh, nineteen six, it says, and I'm only giving parts of the. There's more to it, but just to emphasize that, and you are, shall be unto me. God was telling us, told the nation of Israel, that unto me you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we've heard a lot of that so far this feast. Uh, Isaiah 61.6 puts it, But you shall be named the priests of the eternal. And again in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, You shall be lively stones built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and offer, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and by Emmanuel the Christ. And then again in verse 9 of First Peter 2, But you shall be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And finally in Revelation 5, Verse 10, And Christ has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. It's interesting that so far this feast, we've heard a lot about that. Uh, heard about things that are going to happen, things that are going to be important to us, to the church, but also a lot's going to happen to this world. So I have a question, several questions here. The first question is, what do you feel would help you be more equipped to be a king or priest in God's government? You know, think about that. I want you to not answer it right, you know, right now. Just put that down, think about it, because it's very important. What, what, what do you need as a person? to become a king and a priest. The second question is, how much do you want to be the bride of Christ? Daryl brought a lot of that out yesterday in the last uh, 30 minutes of the sermon. Uh, I had to ask myself, what, what, just, how bad, how deeply, what's the greatest desire in my life that I want to be a part of that? I want to be a part of that kingdom of God. Be a part of the bride of Christ. Another question. Is there anything specifically 
that would help you to become a king or a priest. Think about that too, because we're humans. <laughs> and we make a lot of mistakes, but in, you know, like I, I put down here, what am I weak in? So I ask myself, what, what part of God's way of life or God's calling, and I've been around for a number of years, since 19, started studying the service you know, God's way in 1962, in the fall, actually around this time of the year, in 1962. So I, I asked myself, what am I weak in? And there's certainly a lot of things, and I know there's a lot of things that I'm weak in. And what am I missing? What am I missing in my walk with God? Am I walking with God? I mean, that's analyzing my life, and as I ask you to analyze your life, because it's it's all about God. Everything that we do is about God. But where do I fit? I say, where do I fit in this picture? Am I walking with God? We know we heard already this feast that Enoch walked with God. Uh, we covered a little bit of that. We found that Noah walked with God, and we Daryl covered a, a whole sermon covering Noah's walk with God. Abraham walked with God, and I said, am I walking with God? Is that the point, the place in life that I am? Am I, as a human being, a called out one? Because we know we're only here, as Daryl pointed out yesterday, we're here because God selected you. You didn't do this yourself. Herbert Armstrong said that, I remember, in the 60s, in 64, 63, and 62. I remember Herbert Armstrong on the radio saying, you're, you're selected. You're called by God. You just didn't choose this way of life. I've heard over the 50-some years I've been in the church, I've heard people say, well, I was looking for the truth. No, you weren't. I was in the Methodist church. I wasn't looking for God. I thought I already had God. No, it, was, it wasn't until God opened your eyes, your ears, your, your thoughts, that you were able to begin to see the things that God has brought out. So we have to, to give God all the credit because, as Christ said, no man can come to to Him until the Father calls you. So you were called. You have that special, special thing. So in the sermon, point one, because we are called, we will to walk with God, like Abraham, Noah, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. We know that he spent three and a half years. He says whether it was in the Spirit or in actuality. Uh, he... He kind of questioned himself there. But he walked with God. So, my first point is, is there a lot of time left? Do we have a lot of time to, to, to get our walk with God straightened out and, and, and going right? I remember one of the first uh, sermons that, it was a sermonette by Paul Flatt. Uh, his first sermonette in Houston, Texas. Uh, we were meeting in the uh, IWF hall, 
and uh, we had a stage that the speaker sat on. He got up and he went to one side of the, to the to the right side of the stage, and then he walked over to a foot from the left side, and he said, "This distance from where I am back to the other side is man's up to this point." And what we have left is this one foot. Not a lot of time left. And that impressed me that time because uh, I, I'm, I was only 26 maybe at that time. So I said, well, I'm still young, you know. i got a lot of time in front of me. But at that time, we were looking at, at 72, Christ, uh, the tribulation starts, 75, Christ would return. Uh, and this was maybe 66, 1966 or 67. And that didn't leave a whole lot of time, did it? What did we hear yesterday? Is there a lot of time left? Maybe uh, six years and two months? Not a lot of time, is there? Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 is thinking about how much time is left? And what am I going to do with my time? Am I going to just sit back and say, well, I've got plenty of time. I think back in the 60s and early 70s, we sat back there. We didn't say it, but we lived it. Our Lord delays His coming. I, I believe that really happened a lot with a lot of people. To me, when the, when God spewed the church out, I saw people that I thought were so dedicated and uh, they walked away from everything. Everything. They walked away from God all the way. I remember one fellow back in the 70s told me... Uh, he had to, to go and help his son become a, a major league baseball player. And he told me, he says, you know, I, I know I'm not, I'm not going to be at church for a while, but I know where the church is. This was in the early 70s. You think he could find a church today? I don't think he could. I don't think he would know where to even look for the church. So here in... Romans chapter 13, verse 11. God inspired us through Paul to write, and that knowing the time, that now is the time, a high time, to wake up out of sleep. You mean God looked ahead? God could see that today, in 2019, that most of the church is asleep? A lot of people went to sleep. They don't know where the church is. For now is our salvation uh, nearer than, we're, than we believe, first believed. So when I go back and think of what Paul Flatt said, I thought, man, we're, it's almost over. That was in, this, in the mid-60s. And here is many years later. So God was saying back there, you're going to go to sleep. And now He tells us, wake up. Isaiah 51 goes through and says, wake up, wake up. I remember the first time that Daryl hit that. He yelled out, wake up, wake up, and hit the table. And everybody joined to jump because it shook everybody up. Wasn't expecting it. But it was interesting because it, it 
startles you to thinking. That was probably 2002, maybe. Long time back, when. Where are we today? Am I still awake? Verse 12. He goes on to say, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. What are the works of darkness? Galatians 5 tells you that. Daryl read those the other day. Go back and read the first part. You know, was it 16 or 17? The works of the darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. So we're admonished to uh, wake up. Uh, Isaiah was really firm in that for 60, uh, 52, 53. Really comes down and tells us to wake up. Now turn to Thessalonians chapter, First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five will begin in verse one and read through to eight. But of the time and season, brethren. You have no need that I write unto you. So, but we've heard this, you know. We heard this yesterday. Back at the time Paul wrote this, he felt that we were right there in 62, 63, 64. We thought the time was there in in 1972. In 1975, then Charles Dorothy, I remember, said, it's not going to happen then. It may be 82. But he said, you don't have to, that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For the majority of people, it will be like a thief. It will be suddenly. For when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. My wife birthed eight children. And let me tell you, you think you've got it made. It's, everything's going great. Uh, two o'clock in the morning, Five o'clock in the morning, depending on the child, all of a sudden, my wife said, "It's time." I mean, I've been—I thought I was prepared. I wasn't prepared. So, for most people, when Christ comes back, time's going to be up. If they don't get with it today, they're not going to be with it when Christ comes. But you, brethren, so here he's talking to us. He said, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, are we? Didn't we hear, haven't we heard now up to the feast, from the feast so far right now, that we're not in darkness of these things happening. We know it's coming. We've been giving the warning. And God has said in the Scriptures, He said, I will do nothing until I tell you by the mouth of my prophets ahead of time. See, I'll let you know before it's happening. So he said, But you, brethren, are need not be in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. We can't let time slip up on us. We need to be awake right now. 
because judgment is on us at this time. We don't have a second chance. This is the second chance that we have right now. This is our time. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. A lot of the church is asleep. Most of the nation is asleep. I listen to the news. Um, They they say, even the alternative news says, yeah, we're going to have trouble, but we're going to come through like we always have done. We've come through and come on top. If you watch a lot of the the movies that they produce and of the disaster heading, what do they show? America on top. So that's what people think. So, the rest of the world is asleep. We said, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Be alert, looking for these things to happen. For they that are asleep in the, the night and they that are drunk are drunk in the night. So, most of the stuff, most of the drinking and all that stuff happens at night, but the people are asleep. Our nation, my children. I have, I have a big family. I got a huge family, and not many in that family are aware of the danger, uh, the situation, the destruction that's right on the doorstep. But let us, verse eight, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for the helmet, the hope of salvation. So that's where we sit. We don't have a lot of time left. I, I look back and I think I came out here in, in uh, 2001. What happened to those years from 2001 to now? I mean, they just seem like they passed like a, like a blink of the eye. We don't have a lot of time left. So, first point is, we don't have a lot of time left. What are you doing with your time? What are you, what are you accomplishing with your time? It's easy to be tied up in everything that we do every day. Our jobs, our families, uh, uh, our desires. Uh, James said, uh, we're warring and fighting but there's a reason for that because we have this desire to have everything and to be the greatest and so we don't look at what actually is happening so you don't have a lot of time left so what are you doing with your time my second point is what are you doing with your time where are you right now what's, what's happening in your life Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans 12:1. Paul again inspired by Christ to write, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, a living sacrifice. In other words, he's saying you've got you've to take and be the sacrifice. You have to be putting away your thoughts, your desires, everything that's important to you, and find out what's important to God. 
Because it's all about God. It's not about you. It's about God and what He's going to do. So we to put become a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your responsibility, says reasonable service. But it's your responsibility as a Christian to become holy and to become that living sacrifice. I was looking through the Scriptures and I found when I would say is a prophecy maybe, but we don't always look at it as a prophecy. And that's in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. I look at this as a prophecy uh, because it helps us to see what's going to happen and what we should do. Proverbs 6 and verse 6. Proverbs 6, 6. It says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. What? You mean we're lazy people? I think the church became very lazy in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s. We're kind of sluggish. Consider her ways and be wise. So God says, look at... He uses this as a prop, so to speak. He uses... I put ants there. What do the ants do? Which, having no, they don't have to have a guide. They don't have to have an overseer. They don't have to have somebody ruling over them. But they provide their meat in the summer and gather the food at the harvest. So if we look at that as a, a, a prophecy say, God's telling us that you know the time and it's short. Are you going to sit back and just wait that time? Or are you going to be like the ants who say, hey, this is summer. The crops are in. If I don't get my act together and get things behind me, I'm going to starve to death. In the... So as a prophecy then, I went to Matthew 25. Daryl covered that yesterday, but I was already working on this before yesterday. So I'm going to cover two of the verses. Only two verses. We know that Matthew 25, verses 1 through 6, talk about the the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And and, uh, God doesn't want us to be foolish, but He wants us to be wise. But in verse 3 it says, They that were foolish took their lamps. So He said, Hey, they're in church. They they go to church. They take their lamp and they 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 read the Bible sometimes. They pray almost all the time. But they took their lamps, and I'm in the church, and I'm a part of the members, and I'm part of the family. But notice he said, and they took no oil with them. Now the ants understood that time was running out, and they took oil or they took food. Well, the foolish people, they didn't take any oil. They don't need it. Sort of makes you think of Revelation 3. The, the uh, uh, Laodicean people who say, uh, as it does in, in the Good News Bible in chapter 3.17 says, you say to yourself, 
and this is the interpretation of verse 17, you say to yourself, I'm rich and well off. That's a Laodicean, isn't it? I'm rich and well off. I've been in church for 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, whatever it is. I'm, I don't, I'm well off. I don't have any needs. I've studied the Bible all these years. No, that's not what God says. So in verse 4 of Matthew 25, it says, But the wise, and notice says, they took oil in their vessels. They were like the ants. They went out there and gathered stuff. They spent the time. And then they took their lamps too. So they not only had their lamps like the foolish virgins, but they were wise. They took a little bit extra. They prepared for what might come down the line. So we have a little time left. Very little. Very little. When you look at the world situations and you read what God says, and that's the most important part, have you put up extra oil? That's difficult because we're human. And I've got my job, and I've got my house, and I've got my car, and I've, and I've got all these things to do. And uh, Have I put that extra oil up? So then I have, I think I've got, I got marked down here, point three. What can I do? Is there things for me that I can look into the Scriptures and find out, is there something in Scriptures that encourages me and can help me to utilize that time. 2 Timothy 2.15, a Scripture that we used to memorize or of, of the hundreds that we were supposed to memorize. Some of us can do very good. Others, others sometimes have to write these things on a note and kind of keep them with us to remember where these Scriptures are. But 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. So we're told to study. Like the ant, we go out there and put our our nose to the grindstone and our shoulder to the road and start working at it because there's not a lot of time left. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells us to prove things and hold fast to that which is good. So here we're told to study. And then we're told to, to take what we're reading and, and, and see if it fits. Prove it. Prove like Herbert Armstrong did. He was challenged on the Sabbath. He said, it's not true. How can all these churches be wrong and one be right? And he finally come up and said, I guess the one's right and all the rest of them are wrong. Well, he studied and then he proved what was right and then he held fast to that. Second Peter 1, verse 10. Wherefore, then, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, things you shall never fail. So here, Peter said, you know, we're told to study. We're told to prove it. And then Peter says this, do it diligently. 
don't do it half-heartedly. Don't do, you know, just, oh, hum, or, or I will tomorrow. Uh, I'll do a little bit today, and tomorrow I'll do a little bit more. Or, uh, I've got, I've got this thing, I, I've got this other thing, I've got to do this today first. But we know in Matthew, Christ said, seek you first the kingdom of God. He said, put me first. And then everything else you need is going to be done. But as a human being, it's easy to say, I've got these other things. And, uh, and besides, i got time yet. No, you don't. No, you don't. Second Peter 3, verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, Second Peter 3.14 Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. Again, he's emphasizing to get your nose to the grindstone. Don't take it lightly that you may be found of him in peace without a spot and blameless. Well, we know the sacrifices are the the sacrifice that the Father did was Christ, and He was the sacrifice without spot or blemish. And He wants us to get rid of our spots. Uh, Daryl used to say, get rid of your warts. Well, when you're one big wart, it's pretty difficult sometimes. But, you know, God expects us to do a little bit more than just sit back and take it lightly. We are, we don't have a problem with that, you know. Sometimes we justify, we justify our actions, and a lot of times we justify everything we do. But God says you can't justify the actions that you should study and pray and put your nose to the grindstone, you know, and get with it. Because in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, 2 Corinthians 1, 22, God tells us, who has sealed us. He says, I have sealed you. I have selected you. I have taken care of you. I have sealed us and given us the earnest of His Spirit. So, He's given us the, the, the stuff it takes. He gives it to us. We already have that. If we've been baptized and we've had uh, the water baptism, hands laid on us, and He set us aside... He gives us His Spirit. So we have that Spirit. It's there. It's, it's ready for us, our use if we're not asleep or if we're not diligent or if we have something else to do. So God gives us that. Again, He tells us in chapter 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 5, He says, uh, And now He who has prepared us for the very thing is God. It's God who's done it, who also has given us His the Spirit as a guarantee. And that was related through the New King James. It's a guarantee. It's guaranteed that we can be successful. That's why He gives you your Spirit. It's a guarantee that you're not going to fail, but you have to use it. You can't just set it aside. My fourth point. Throughout history, 
God has always given criteria for us to do things. Back when Israel came out of Egypt, uh, he required the kings to do something. If we're going to be a king and priest, like I brought up in the first question, uh, we need to find out if there are requirements that God has against us. So in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God gives a requirement. This is before they had kings. There was just Moses who was leading them. Before kings, God told them ahead of time, you're going to have a king. And here's a requirement for your kings. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. A requirement that, you know, if we would apply it in our lives, because we want to be a king or a priest, he says, and it shall be when the king, when he gives them a king, when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom, he shall write him a copy of the law in the book out of which is before the priests, the Levites. He needed to write the law. Can you imagine writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? And that's the book of the law. They had to write the law. And he tells us why. And it shall be with him. So not only did he have to write this to be a king, it had to be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life. It wasn't just an easy job to be a king in God's government. You had to know the law. It had to be in your heart, your mind, your life. I've had people say, well, this is my religion. I don't have a religion. This is my way of life. This is your way of life. So you, people say, well, what's your religion? I don't have a religion. I've got a way of life that's different than your way of life. But that way of life is to know God's law and know it so well that it's just daily activity. That's why God lives His law because it is His way of life and He wants us to have that way of life. So if we're going to be a king and a priest, do you know God's law? Do you know the statutes and the judgments? Have you written them down so well and read over them every... Read them every day? Go over those laws? That's a pretty good challenge, isn't it? Pretty good challenge. That he may learn the purpose. He gives us a purpose for doing that. That we, or he, the king, you as a king or queen or, or a priest, that you may learn to fear the Lord, his God, and to keep his words of the law and these statutes to do them. That's the purpose of it. So it becomes so part of your life. It's just what you do. It's your life. You don't have to have somebody say, well, don't go murder somebody. Because that's your life. You don't murder people. Whether it's verbally or physically. You don't commit adultery, which is going against God. Physically, against your wife or your husband. 
but spiritually it's against God and Christ. You don't have some other religion, some other God. If you do, then you're committing adultery and idolatry and breaking all the commandments of God. It goes on in verse 20, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren. Oh, so he, you're to know these things so that you don't think you're better than anybody else. Just because you're the king doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. You're, the, you're like everybody else too. So he had to know these things so that he didn't lord it over them. And that he turned not aside from the commandments to do right uh, to the right hand or to the left. You don't want to go contrary to God. So God gives us instructions. So what does He expect from us? He expects us to know God's law. He expects us to live that law every day of our life. You can't do that if you say, well, I've got something else I've got to do. Something more important. Uh, maybe i got to go buy some groceries today. And oh, but, but what about prayer? And what about reading God and finding out what God wants? Now, we find a lot of things that can easily creep into our lives that can distract us from what is what we need to do. It's easy to find those things. So, God is expecting us to write in our hearts the law. It's what He's expecting from us. Not only to write it, because if, you, if it's written in your heart, it's your way of life. So then it, it's, it's not hard to say, well, I don't, uh, well, this, my neighbor has a brand new car. I wish I could have a brand new car, and I'm going to go out and do whatever it takes to get me a new car. No, it's you won't do that if if it's in your in in your way your thoughts. You won't want to kill somebody. You want to steal from them. You don't want to do any of those things. You want to you want to be a friend or a neighbor. So this point being, is God's law written in your heart? You want to be a king. You know, is is this part which says I really want to be a part of God's way of life. I really want that. I want to be a part of the bride of Christ. I want it so bad that I'm writing God's law in my heart. And I want to do those things that way. Sometimes it's hard to, you know, to, to maybe understand these things. And God knows that. He understood that. And so what did He do? Another point that if we're going to be a king and priest, we need to know all 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 the way down the line what God wants from us. But how do we do that? I mean, there's there's scriptures. I found one. I I don't have it written down. I I try not to remember some of these things that distract me. But I I said, what does this mean? And I'm still toying, trying to figure out what it means. But how can I find out what it means? I need somebody to help me. So, the next point I have is that we need somebody to teach us. And God knew that ahead of time, you know? He's so far ahead of us. 
it's really amazing how how we think we're so great. I, I listened to a, a story about uh, a uh, astronomer, I think he was. He talked about Voyager. Uh, that was a a uh, satellite that we shot off of this Earth and shot it out in space and it's traveling at 44,000 miles an hour. And I forget when they actually shot it off. But uh, 10 years after it was going, and you can imagine you take 10 years every every mile per hour times 44,000 and you get an idea how far away it was. It, at 10 years, they, they, they allowed it to be turned around take a picture back at Earth. And this uh, astronomer teacher, he had this great big, big blackboard. Uh, I mean, uh, movie screen, and he was projecting this on the screen. And he said, "Now you see on this screen, you see this speck right up here in this corner. So that speck is where all human beings that have ever lived sit. So how big are you? We're just a speck." on a speck of a speck, you know. So, how do we know? How can we learn? Well, God gives us teachers to help us to understand. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Joshua wrote, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. So, we're not to let that depart out of our mouth, but we're to meditate on it and think about it. So how big are we? Well, we're not big enough for to know where we are in, in the universe because uh, against our sun, that speck is only a speck. And our sun is only a speck. So our Father wants us to meditate on His law. And we need to have somebody to guide us in that area. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 Paul says, in Titus 1, verses 1 through 3, Paul said, A servant of God and an apostle of Emmanuel, according to the faith of God, God's elect, and acknowledging of the truth, which is afar after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So, God promised a lot to us, but has in the time manifested His Word through what? He's manifested His Word through preaching. Uh, the Romans, this world, this country, most of the people think it's, it's silly to have preachers to be preached to. But yet God says, He's manifested His Word through preaching, which is committed unto me, Paul, Paul saying, committed to me according to the commandment of God. So God gave a commandment to preach. He called and set people to preach. In Romans 10, it, it goes on to say, and we've gone over this, and it's probably one most people remember, Romans 10, Romans 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Eternal shall be saved. So, hey, uh, how can, 
if we want to call on God and seek after God, we'll be saved. But he goes on and said in verse 14, Then how shall they call upon Him who they've never heard? But a lot of people have never heard about God. Some hear about a God, but they never really have heard about God. Even in the church of God, there are there's a lot of misconcepts of who God is or what God is doing and where God is going. How then shall they call him with if if they how then shall they call upon him whom they have not heard, and how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now Paul was inspired to write that. He asked the question, how are we going to learn some of these things? I, had a, I found a scripture. I struggle with that because I don't understand it all the way. So, I've got to go find a preacher that, that maybe God is inspired that can tell me the answers or help me to see the answers. And how shall they preach? And God, Darrell went over this the other day. And again, just rehearsing some of those things. How can he preach? How can we have a preacher except God sent them? And we have a lot of preachers that God has not sent. There's a lot of those out there. But he has sent some, and we have to find those that he sends. And how shall they preach except God sent? And if, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach that preach what? The gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Glad tidings of good things. So, we're glad tidings of good things. Good things to come, right? A lot of good things are going to come. Bad things before, but it's going to be good things. So, that point is sometimes we don't really understand the Scriptures all the way. Even though we read them, even though we meditate on them, even though we're like the ant and we go out there and we're trying to gather this stuff up and trying to get prepared for the future and all of that, we don't have the answers. So, God gives us preachers to help us. The next point is, can... Uh, can uh, we cannot just hear the sermons though just because we sit in services and somebody has God's spirit and God's instruction and God's motivation and God's teaching just because we hear that is that all we need do we just need to sit here occupy a seat I, myself, I've listened to over 2,000 sermons. Daryl's probably preached more than 2,000 sermons. I've heard a lot of sermons. I remember back in Big Sandy at the Feast of Tabernacles. We had two sermons every day, and Friday nights we'd have a Bible study. And sometimes it got pretty confusing. We'd go home from the feast and I'd say, Wow, what was, what was that sermon? Uh, and, and I try to put it together and I'd be putting three sermons together to come up with one because there was so much. Here we get just one. That gives us enough to sit back and meditate on what's being said and you know, try to analyze. So we just can't sit here 
and hear a sermon. We got to do something more than just hear the sermons. If you're an ant, you're doing a lot more than just hearing a sermon. You're putting it to practice. You listen, you put it to practice. We can't understand everything. God knew that. He knew it ahead of time. So, He said, I'm going to give you preachers who will teach you as I instruct them. So, we can't just sit back and say, I listened to the sermon today and that was a great sermon. I remember listening, I was standing beside the minister one day and somebody came up and said, Man, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And the preacher said, Well, what did I say? Um, uh, 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 well, uh, uh, well, that's what happens, you know. If you get put on the firing line and the bullets come back at you, you're pretty wish you had thought more of what you're going to say before you said it. <laughs> so you have to have more than just hearing. You've got to practice it and put that in into your brain, and into your life. Proverbs chapter 14. You've got you to work on these things. You've got you to go back over them. If you take notes, go back over the notes. You know, when I do a sermon like this, I say it takes me a lot of time. It's, it's good. It's great to, to do a sermon because what it does to me, it forces me to take a subject and go through the Scriptures and find everything that God has to say about that one particular point. And sometimes it spans beyond that and I get all bound up. And There's so much there. There's so much in God's Word that I don't understand and a lot of people don't understand. So Proverbs 14, verse 15. The simple believe every word that's said. I mean, the simple person says, Hey, I understand it. I believe everything. But the prudent man looks well to his going. So the the prudent man goes back and looks to see if that's true. I know in the last couple of sermons, I, I tried to emphasize, Hey, don't believe me. Mr. Armstrong said, Herbert W. Armstrong said, and I remember this even on the radio in 62, don't believe me. In other words, go take and blow the dust off your Bible, he said. Take it off the shelf. Blow the dust off. Prove it. Look into the Bible. So a prudent man will look well to his going. So he will look into these things. Isaiah 8, verse 20. Isaiah 8, verse 20. No, just not hearing a sermon. Not, not reading an article from a magazine. Or hearing somebody's ideas. Doesn't count. To the law and to the testimony, verse 20 of 8, Isaiah 8. If they speak not according to this word. So, if you hear a prophecy, it has to fit God's Word. If it doesn't fit God's Word, then is it good? Because Herbert Armstrong stressed that, and Daryl stressed that. If it's not God's Word, then what is God's Word? 
So to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. So if they're speaking God's word, then the light's in them and the light's in you and you can see and understand. But you have to, you have to do your part too. You've got to do your part. You want to be a king and a priest? What happens in the world tomorrow? You haven't done your job. You, have, you don't know the law. It's not written in your head. It's not written in your heart. You don't live it. And someone comes up and says, uh, how can I keep the Sabbath right? Um, let, let's see. Let me go back and find my notes back here in, in 2001 or 2019 or in 1921 or whatever it is. No, it has to be already there. You're going to be a king. You have to know these things. So, do you know them? Well, how can you know them? You, well, I heard them. Where do you find them? Uh, I don't know. And sometimes, you know, Daryl asked a question the other day, and I was trying to think of who that person was. I probably know him, but... It wasn't important at the time, so I don't remember that. But I should have. I shouldn't know one of those things. I've been around a long time. I don't have no excuse for that. You know, there's a in Acts, there's a group of people that God tells us, this is the way we should pattern our life. We want to be a king and a priest? You've got to be like these people in Acts 17. Acts 17. There's something that we... We can learn from here. You want to be a king and priest? Well, here's a group of people that give us an example of what to do. Acts 17, verse 10. Acts chapter 17, 10. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night to Berea. Well, they they got to get out of Philippia because the people there hated them. They tried to kill them. So they went to Berea, who coming hither went into the synagogues of the Jews. So they went into Berea, into the synagogue of the Jews, and began to preach. And what they found, what God would like from us, is the same thing. What they found were these were people, the Bereans, people, who were trying to follow God's way of life, they, they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Thessalonians did not want to hear it. They did not agree with it. They did not believe it. And they tried to get rid of Paul and Silas. But here in Berea, they received the word with all readiness of mind. So, we sit in services sometimes with readiness of mind and, and, and hear it. And then we go home. We come to the Feast of Tabernacles here, tremendous spiritual food, and we go home and for six months we kind of drift downhill till we get to Passover. But here the Bereans took it with ready They wanted to hear it and they searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. And that's a kind of a little note to me and to all of us that just because we hear it, it's not enough. He said, go find it in the Scriptures. Is it true? Prove all things. Hold fast to the truth. 
in John chapter 15, Christ talking to the scribes and Pharisees, He said to them, John, John, chap, John chapter 5, verse 39, Christ said to the people, they said, search the Scriptures. That was He's emphasizing because they had all their own opinions of everything that's going on. For they, uh, for in them you think you have eternal life. So we do. We think we think the scripture says we have eternal life. We're going to be kings and priests to the church. You're going to be kings and priests. You're going to marry Christ, and they are they which testify of me. Christ said, "Search it. You want this, but you don't believe it. You don't." grasp it, but you need to search the Scriptures because they say who Christ was. And the people, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews at that time did not believe it. But he said, go back and look at it. It's there in the, in the Scriptures. Search them. Find out. So when you hear something, hear a sermon, you, or you read something, God says, is it true? How do you know? You gotta put yourself into it. You gotta go back and, and dig it out sometimes. It's there. And ask God, first of all, I don't understand. I mean, I hear things. I remember when I first heard about, um, the change of the Passover washing, foot washing, putting it instead of going first, but putting it after. And, and it took me some time to put this together. And, and when the message that came to me, I was over in in uh, Tennessee, and I was Daryl had sent me over there to bring the Passover service to those people of that area, and and administer the Passover and, and be the the person there. And someone called me, and he put us down, and it it hurt because they had. Daryl had made a, a, a paper out and they had the paper and we didn't. And it came out that you're so stupid, you can't understand this unless you have this paper. And it hurt. So I went over to the river across from the power plant and asked God, help me to understand. So I then started searching the Scriptures and I said, you know, it's right. Why is it that we were putting men before God? That's what I, that's the way it hit me. How come I put foot washing, which is my love for my fellow man, before my God? So, yes, it's better to put God first, take the bread and the wine, and then do the foot washing. Because the commandments teach me the same thing. God first, and then man. So I said, wow, I can understand that without the paper. <laughs> and I thank God for that. So, I had to search the Scriptures to get that little ditty solved. So in John, he said, the, uh, the Scriptures told who Christ was. But if we don't look at it, we're not going to know who Christ, where Christ was. Psalms chapter 1, verse 2. Here David speaking in the Psalms. But his delight... David's delight. He's king. King of Israel. He will be king in the future. Scripture says so. Don't believe me. See if you see it in the Scriptures yourself. 
But David will be king over Israel in the future. And David said, My delight is in the laws of God. And in His law do I meditate day and night. An example. Like the Bereans, he's, he believed it. He, hey, this was his way of life. We sing song. Uh, one, of the, one of the hymns we sing is, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And I read that and I think, do I do that? I think I fall short a lot of times. But God says through David, do I meditate on God's law all the time? I see things happening. I see, uh, wasn't but a month ago or less, it hit me. We murdered millions of babies every year. And it hit me that these babies will never crawl on the ground. These babies will never see a, sunlight, a sunrise or a sunset. They'll never get a kiss from their mom or dad. Millions of babies that we do this to. And that's not God's way of life. And so that hurts when you think about that. So then I begin to think about God's way and how that's never going to happen when Christ returns and God's government begins to rule this earth. That is not going to happen again. It will never happen again. So I knew I need to meditate on God's law. We're going to be a king and a priest. People are going to come to us and want to know what, what to do. Are you really prepared for that? Are you, are you ready to do that? Can you do that right now? Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us not to be conformed to this world. He said, take yourself out of this world. Don't be conformed to the things that's going on in this world today. Don't be not, verse 2, 12, verse 2 of Romans, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. You know, what does a transformer do? I've been in electronics. A transformer takes one thing from one place and puts it someplace else. So if you have a thousand volts and you need 120, it transfers a thousand to 120. If you transform your way of life, it goes from being a human who is solely tied to the world to a human who is striving with his heart and mind to be a part of God's way of life. And when you get to that point, then you'd be working toward being a king and a priest because those are important things. Ephesians. We can't, at this time, in the future, ever be a king or a priest if we do not do what is acceptable to God. So that's what's important. It's our job today. This is a training session, a training ground. A tr this is only a temporary life. This is only training for a future uh, eternal life. 
So how can we be a part of that and be ex- unless we do what's acceptable to God? And how do you do what's acceptable to God unless you first have somebody help you see it and then you put it into practice? And that's what's so important that we have to we have to put ourselves into this. It's not what my wife or my children or my husband or my you know, it's not what somebody else does. It doesn't make any difference what somebody else does in their life, really. It's what you as a human being in relationship with God do. That's what's important. Because there's no minister that I've known, and I've known a lot, that will get me into the kingdom of God. But there is somebody that will keep me out. Me. I'm the only one that will keep me out. If I allow Satan to to work on my mind, or I allow my friends or my neighbors or some other group or whatever it is, uh, affects me, it's still me. I'm the one that's responsible to God. He's not going to come and say, well, Nelson, you didn't do this, so uh, your daughter... Uh, is not going to make the kingdom of God. Now, we, we know that whatever I do is my responsibility. It's not what I do is going to affect Charnel. It won't affect her unless she wants it to. Nor what, what you do will not keep me out of the kingdom of God. It's what I do. And that's what each one of us has to understand. God's offering you a high position in the world tomorrow. Not only eternal life, but a high position. When you marry Christ, you're going to be with Christ forever. You will be in the uh, top of the government, say. And he doesn't want another Satan. He doesn't want a bunch of demons. They're not going to be around. You will be if you're doing your part today. And it's sometimes hard to do that, you know. It's hard. We let emotions get to us. We let things that we want to do get to us. And sometimes we'll say, well, you know, if this person had done it this way, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today. <laughs> that's, that's so lame because we're taking the blame to somebody else when I'm the guilty party or I'm the right party. See? Ephesians 5.10 says, Prove what is acceptable to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, a memory scripture. Prove all things hold fast to the good. In Philippians 1.10, that you may prove things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. So, it puts the monkey on your back, not somebody else's. It's what we as a person have to do with what we're given 
and we've been given a lot. I came out here not because of Daryl Henson, but I remember in 2001, I was giving the first sermon on the last great day, and I, you know, I was just going along doing my own thing, and and doing a sermon, and and somewhere in the middle of that sermon, like a light bulb come on, and I said, you know what, I'm moving to west to the west, and my wife sat back there and says, great, I'm glad you told me ahead of time. <laughs> But it was like a light bulb come on. It wasn't what my what Daryl said. It wasn't what was going someplace. It was what the Scriptures were saying. The Scriptures said, God takes people away from this world and brings them to a place that's out from everything. It's still in Babylon, yes. But it's away from everything away from my family, a big, huge family, a lot of kids, a lot of grandkids, great-grandkids, a lot of friends, a lot of jobs. And I just in the sermon, I just said, I'm moving out here. We're meeting in Zion. And I said, I'm moving out here. And my wife sits back and says, glad. Thank you for letting me know ahead of time. But it was just like a light bulb opened up. So it was on me. And it was when God opened my understanding. And so I can't blame my wife. I can't blame Daryl. I just have to thank God for opening my mind. And then responding to what I was told. And that's where we are today. We have to respond to God and find out what exactly... We have to do. And there's a lot of other scriptures you can go to. This can go on for a long time, but I'm going to shut it down. It's just, you know, go back and read. Uh, Paul told Timothy and Titus, uh, if you're going to have elders and deacons in the church, uh, the, these are qualities that they have. He gives them qualities. and quali- This is how to do it. Galatians 5, he tells you what you shouldn't do and, and the qualities that you should have, the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Philippians 4.8 gives you a lot of things to, to cover. All these things are important to become a king. But you, as a person, have to apply them. You just can't, uh, you just can't blame somebody else. It's up to you as a person, as a God-called you are called, you are here, you are selected. Many are called, but only a few are going to be selected. God's given you the opportunity. Will you be that part of that selection? Or are you just going to sit back and be the sluggard? Are you going to be the person who is a uh, foolish virgin? Or are you going to be a wise virgin? So I, I've told you that we don't have a lot of time left. There are things we can do. Uh, we need to learn to do things. We learn what God requires of the kings. And if you read Thessalonians and and uh, Timothy, Second First uh, Timothy three and Second and Thessalonians, you think that there's there's things that are required, things that you're going to have to do if you 
You have to put... It's not that you look at somebody else and say, well, this person's not living that way. No, it's, are you living this way? And so when you go to Galatians 5, it says these are the works of the flesh. Take each one of those and say, what part of this do I do? Or the fruits of the Spirit. Which one of these fruits of the Spirit am I missing? What part of God's way of life am I not walking in? And we need teachers. And God inspires teachers. I don't care what people say. Teachers are given spiritual teaching. God, God looked through He inspired Herbert Armstrong to create a college and to teach people, to get them to the point that they can teach. And so that's important. And we just can't sit back and sit and hear sermons or read a magazine or whatever and then put it aside. Yeah, that's a good sermon. But you don't change. So the requirement then, there's a lot of requirements. This just touches on some of the things. Do you, can you now go back and say, this is what I need to do to be a king. And do I really, really want to be a part of the bride of Christ?